Welcome to Long Covid Physio Podcast, the podcast for physiotherapists and other allied health professionals to share their stories of living with Long Covid and our allies in clinical practice, research and policy to join the discussion. Hello and welcome to Long Covid Physio Podcast. My name is Darren Brown, I am a physiotherapist and I am living with Long Covid. Today we have a very special podcast uh, which is specifically in response to the World Physiotherapy Briefing Paper that was published this week by World Physiotherapy. And today we have with us Dr Emma Stokes, from World Physiotherapy, who is the president of World Physio, and also Tracy Burry, who is the deputy CEO of World Physio. So I wondered if you would both do us the honor of introducing yourselves. Great, thanks, Darren. Um, Thanks for inviting us to be on the podcast. Um, It's always a joy to speak with you and uh, particularly to highlight the work of World Physiotherapy. Um, I'm Emma Stokes, I'm the president of World Physiotherapy and my day job is I'm, currently on leave from Trinity College in Dublin and where I'm an academic and I'm the head of the Department of Physiotherapy and Rehabilitation Science at Catter University where I moved to work with a great team of people who set up the program there. Thanks Emma and hi I'm Tracy Berry I'm the Deputy Chief Executive Officer at World Physiotherapy and one of the key areas I lead on um, alongside Congress is around policy Um, and what does that mean across education and practice and how do we bring policy to life to have impact and that's certainly been a key area of activity since Covid took over much of our lives last year. So thank you and welcome to you both. Uh, So as mentioned, obviously the podcast this week is about the briefing paper that was published this week. And this was a briefing paper that was specific to long COVID, um, but also around the topic of safe rehabilitation uh, with specific topics of physical activity, which included uh, exercise and sports. So I wondered if you'd be able to tell us a little bit more about what are the briefing papers? So who are they for? How are they shared? What are they about? Uh, So thanks, Darren. We've had briefing papers for a while, but they weren't a regular um, production uh, product from World Physiotherapy. Um, But last year, it became really obvious there were key things happening in the profession and in the wider community where we needed to bring together voices and evidence to help um, people struggling with a whole range of situations um, affecting practice, um, affecting education and policy. So briefing papers are a world physiotherapy product. They don't actually require us to go through a formal approval process. So they allow us to be nimble and agile. We can bring different voices to the table to help us working alongside staff. And it's really important these briefing papers have a language that makes them accessible. We want them to be readable. We want to use as much plain English language as possible so that they help with uh, translations, but we still want them to be credible and grounded in the evidence. So they're designed for our member organizations, our regions, our subgroups, and individual physiotherapists out there, as well as others with stakeholder interests in the particular topic. They're there to educate, they're there to empower others to lead advocacy and action, and ultimately, they're about change and impact for the better. 
And what you've seen with this recent paper, it's the ninth one in the series that we've been doing. So a busy time, all in about our response to what's been happening with COVID-19. I'm going to jump in here and just um, just I, 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 because I think it was something that was really interesting around this this particular briefing subject. And it's something that I've um, talked about in, uh, in, in talks recently is something that I'm really proud about was that. Um, by pure serendipity, and we can come back to that, um, we I connected with Nicola Clapp Baker and um, nothing to do with this topic at all just to talk about leadership actually with her students. And after it, she said, this was back in April of 2020, she mentioned to me that, um, you know, um, given everything that we know about MERS and SARS, it is likely that there will be a proportion of people who will be recovering from COVID-19 who will go on to develop something like a post-viral fatigue syndrome. And we're gonna to have to be really careful as a community when we approach the rehabilitation of those people. Uh, and working with them in terms of appropriate exercise prescription. Um, and what I think is really interesting is if you go back to our second briefing paper from May 2020, um, on page seven of that, you will see that we have flagged this up long before we were talking about long COVID. And so I think what the, this really uh, speaks to Tracy's point, which was that you know, right back there, you know, right at the beginning, drawing on all of the experts and everything that we knew at that time, we had flagged this up as a potential. So this briefing paper, the ninth briefing paper uh, that was just uh, launched last week um, is in a way, and, and, and our resources around World Physiotherapy Day is in a way, it's just to me, it's just this sense of how we were able to just pick out some of the signals from the noise and then amplify them. And then when you came and spoke with us about this briefing paper, we were able to say, absolutely, what is it that we need to do to make sure that the global community is, support, is supported in supporting people living with long COVID. And I think that's a really important feature of what we do at World Physiotherapy. And I really like to hear that history as well of building up to it, because you you did mention there as well that obviously I did approach you. Um, so it was both myself and Simon DeCarry, yeah. a physiotherapist who works academically in Canada, that that reached out to you at World Physio. And we met with both yourself, Emma, and also Jonathan mm -hmm. Kruger, didn't we? And we spoke about some of the concerns that were coming after both lived experience, but also mm -hmm. clinical and academic experience mm -hmm. around potentially those concerns that were raised back uh, last year, as you said, mm -hmm. from that second briefing paper were coming to light and actually mm -hmm. were happening in practice. And we wanted to ensure that there was no harm done and we could accelerate this information. Um, and hence why we approached and were quite blown away by the welcoming reception that we received from you. Um, so, so I wonder if like, before we talk more about the briefing paper, like that, that moment itself is quite important, how you came to make a decision about um, whether this was gonna be accepted and how it was gonna form because when we first met, we were talking about a rapid statement of just like an A4 page of mm. these are some key recommendations. And clearly this has evolved quite rapidly into something different. So perhaps I can pick up on that because I know um, when that conversation Jonathan then came and spoke to me and said, you know, what can we do? What kind of output? And I guess for World Physiotherapy, we've got a, a brand, we have identity, um, and you have credibility with the materials that you put out when we bring that collective voice to bear. So I think it was 
you know, from early material that you sent to me as well, I was to say, we can't lose any of what's here. We can't distill it down to just the, the critical facts because there is so much valuable information in here that we need to educate ourselves about. We need to educate the profession so that the profession can one, help itself because we were hearing increasingly about physiotherapists themselves experiencing long COVID, but also the community that they work with. And through that, educate the other health professionals, uh, their colleagues, as well as um, people outside of the profession. So I think, you know, when I saw that material, I remember thinking, there's more than just the statements in here. There's lots of key messages that we pull out. And I know you and I had a discussion around, we know the four statements, we can't lose sight of those. But what we need to do is help people see the other key messages as well. And I think, um, you know, we could call it a formula, the way in which we put those briefing papers together, but they do have a flow. Um, and we didn't want to lose sight, you and I talked about this around the volume of evidence, just to demonstrate how much was emerging and to demonstrate how much you and the whole team you put together were across it all. And that was really critical, I think. So, you know, when I saw that, it was like, we have to use all of this. It's not about distilling something from it. There is so much to be gained by um, recognizing the complexity but still drawing out key messages. Yeah, and I think it's really important that we highlight the fact that this is co-created. And I think, you know, so our role in moral physiotherapy, you know, is, is, is not necessarily to create content when there are the world's experts out there, you know, who have the knowledge and the experience and the lived experience and the clinical knowledge and the academic and research knowledge to, to create content. Our role is to amplify the message, uh, whether that's a message of our member organizations activities or whether that's a message of our community. And I think what's really interesting is if you look at world physiotherapy subgroups and networks, and obviously Darren, you know, that's how you and I first got to know one another through the HOPE um, subgroup, which was a network and has, is now a subgroup. It's that sense of um, how do we bring the, the, the diversity of the community together and coalesce it around a subject. So in this case, it was long COVID, but in other cases, in other papers, it was about bringing the education community together or the, the community of people who were engaging with the regulators or our digital practice paper, which was a really, really broad perspective. I think this particular this paper is particularly, um, you know, I, I'm, it's amazing that you know, and congratulations to everyone involved in you know in in getting the consensus around what should be in this and what should it look like, because if you look at the the, the number of people involved and the and the number of countries that were involved, that's really truly remarkable. And I guess from our perspective as well at World Physiotherapy, and and you would know this well, and it's it's how we form our subgroups is that diversity of perspective is really important. So how do we make sure that this is not a paper that's just written by and for, and as a result of the experience of a niche group of individuals? Uh, and I think, you know, the diversity of the people that were involved in this shows that we have that reach, which I think is, is really important. So we're very intentional about that. And that has come through in this paper, which I think is absolutely fabulous. And we'll make it applicable and, um, accessible by the global community. Physios, other health professions, people living with long COVID to bring to their physio. And that's what I'd encourage people to do, to bring this to their health professional and say, look, I'm sure you know this, but just in case you don't, 
here are the messages that are really important when we talk about exercise prescription uh, or we talk about my rehabilitation. Yeah. You know, and I think that's fantastic. And, and there's a couple of things that I wanted to come back to there, actually, because there was something you said there, Tracy, about the, the content of the briefing paper and how it was that iterative process of focusing on the, the key um, potentially cautionary messages and the, the things that we need to be mindful of, but also the positive aspects of what can be done, and not only in terms of uh, practice, but also in terms of advocacy and future research as well. And I think that was something that I wanted to express my gratitude for, because actually, as, as Emma mentioned, you know this 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 paper came from um communities of people living with and affected by long covid and allies working with and i think that a, a true legacy of my involvement with world physiotherapy is that at the heart of delivering this was that we wanted diversity and it was important and actually i can only thank world physiotherapy for all of those lessons in that which is that it it brought strength to the paper mm -hmm. but i was so grateful to the inclusion of not only so many people from diverse backgrounds experiences, countries, and regions, but also to the messages that did reach consensus, um, which is quite surprising that we reached that consensus, considering the breadth and diversity of belief and experiences across the people that came to this over 50 people that came together. But you mentioned how um, the paper itself was big. You know, there's over 180 references and citations, which I know we had those discussions. So I am just so grateful for the inclusion of all of the literature that we included in this. But I think it demonstrated how passionate we were about getting the message out. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, when I dive back into that that literature, and as you and I have talked about the challenges of getting references, being a bit of a reference nerd, but actually <laughs> going and finding all the URLs, all the open access resources, which I was doing last week was all about how do we help everybody by making the literature diverse and inclusive? So if you just put in titles, for example, in reference lists, there isn't the immediate click through for someone who hasn't, doesn't have institutional access, is in a different country where access to literature is a real challenge. But I saw this again as an opportunity to open access to that knowledge base for all of those um, individuals. Um, and, you know, and I think in terms of accessibility is the fact that the, the French and Spanish translations will probably be available this week. Oh, and wow. literally within 24 hours, we had our colleagues from Vietnam contacting us to put their hands up to sort of help with uh, translations. So, you know, people really need this information mm -hmm. um, and people want to be able to amplify and we keep coming back to that term and our role as well physiotherapy but you know your collective was all about amplifying because the more people you have in the more you've already got that cohort of ambassadors that ripple effect going out and beyond um, and that's something you know we can work in harmony with um, and it's what we can do as Emma's often saying better together. Mm -hmm. Yeah absolutely I mean collaborative advantage is what we're all about you know. Yeah so on that note then so in terms of the the role of world physiotherapy in disseminating the briefing papers who are the key stakeholders or collaborators or, or, or networks that you work within where this this briefing paper goes to? Mm. 
So, you know, it immediately goes out to all of our primary contacts that are member organizations, our regions, um, subgroups and networks. Uh, but we then also use uh, press and media contacts. Um, so it goes out through other channels and then through stakeholder groups like World Health Organization, HI, ICRC. So, you know, I immediately knew I'd seen a tweet previously from um, somebody who works at WHO and that had been the week previously. So I thought, right, go and find that. It immediately tagged. So I think all of us are looking out for, you know, the traditional channels, but then again, coming back to that word, amplifying it, uh, the social media aspects, Instagram has grown. So because, you know, we can use all of our formal channels, but we have to think about how do we get it to the people who need it most, the people in practice, the, the patient groups and others. And that's where social media is our key tool for reaching a much wider network of individuals. Yeah, really important. And I suppose also with, you know, the World Health Organization having their meetings only this week, another one on long COVID, mm -hmm. um, and then the plans to have one specifically on rehabilitation. Um, and I'm not sure when that is, you know, this is timely, uh, that this briefing paper has come out, hopefully in advance of that meeting. Absolutely. And, you know, we're part of the Global Rehabilitation Alliance. So that's another channel that we will be circulating it through. And in fact, um, we do have a meeting with World Health Organization and um, Alarcus Jays on Wednesday, and I'll be highlighting it to her as well. And I guess it's it's those one to one contacts where you say, hey, look, we've just had this briefing paper and, you know, and indeed, you know, how we use our network. And I think I guess one of the things that we've become really good at doing, I, mean, I think we were always good at it. I think we we've, we've really done it increasingly, I would say, Tracy, and I'm not sure if you agree with me about this, is that. We are, we, we, W, World Physiotherapy has a, has a, has a, we're in official relations with the World Health Organization. So we have a work plan and we're often invited to provide technical, the names of technical experts to the WHO uh, for particular projects. So that's where we can, you know, if we're invited, we will automatically um, go out to our networks um, and ensure that we have a voice of physiotherapists with the correct technical expertise and background to, to, to participate in those meetings. And indeed you participated in one um, two years ago, was it in July 20? Oh my God, 2019, yeah, July 2019, yeah. before the world, the second, um, rehab the second global, uh, rehabilitation 2030 meeting. But those meetings are really important as well because they, st they start to involve member states. And so we're starting to bring the message to the, policy level if you like at the member state level um, and then it's important that we feed that back to our member organizations um, but again coming back to this idea of making sure that we have a way of capturing the diversity of perspectives and voices um, we established the database of volunteers and experts a number of years ago the doves database and again that was just to stop relying on the completely relying on the networks of say Tracy and the board members and the staff members in world physiotherapy because they have inherent biases within them you know and they have gaps in them so that's where if anyone is listening to this and would like to get involved as a volunteer or an expert with world physiotherapy um please go to the to the website and find the doves database um because it's there for us to capture the expertise of the global community and harness it in a way that's really positive I think the other thing to build on that is um, I often refer to it as the recommend a friend approach. So, you know, you've done that, Darren. Hopefully what you've done through this community of 50 plus people, there will be some in there 
who already knew world physiotherapy and I'm sure you will probably have also had discussions with them about why publish through world physiotherapy when the you know do you go the academic route do you find another publishing do you publish independently um, so you will also have brought a whole range of other people into our sphere and that's already reaped benefits in when we've been producing the material for world physiotherapy day which is focusing on long COVID a group of people that you knew through this piece of work, we were able to harness. But we were also, and I think this is really important reflection of this particular topic, able to say to them, you know, because these were people living with long COVID, it's fine, don't feel under any pressure. We're asking a number of people so that somewhere amongst all of you there's capacity, but it's okay to say no. Um, and because sometimes work is under time pressures um, and it's, the more people we have, the more, as Emma says, the more diversity you have with, the more we can share that um, engagement opportunity, but not see it as a burden. Um, but that ripple effect continues to go out and people see the benefit of a global voice because it's, you know, we don't want people duplicating and reinventing wield is one of the reasons we set up the COVID registry last year actually is to try and work out and get people to really see where there could be strategic alliances, um, avoid duplication of efforts, see what activities were going on and how we could be that hub to harness um, all of that and I think that's something that's you know COVID has been a really good example of of how as a catalyst the profession came together. Yeah, completely. And I think that um, going on that point that you raised about why come to world physiotherapy for this briefing paper, uh, rather than another route, mm. that was a conversation that myself um, and many of the other co authors had. Um, and there was certainly a strong uh, voice, there was voices that were strong in terms of we should be going down an academic route. Um, and that's certainly something we haven't lost sight of, mm. there is an opportunity for that still with this briefing paper, um, potentially in terms of the impact of the briefing paper or about the, 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 the role of the briefing paper um, in, in terms of the global response. Um, because I think that what we know is that there's, there's, an, uh, there's an absence of evidence but that doesn't mean that there's not a need in that absence and that gap. And I think that's where this briefing paper has come in so importantly. And certainly for me, one of the things that was so important about coming to World Physiotherapy for this was about the global reach amongst not only the profession, but beyond that. And that included back at this core of this of diversity, which is that this would not just be an English language thing. This would have other languages and this would have greater reach because mm. of that. And for me, that was what was most important. It was about getting a message far and wide um, from a safety perspective. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've just commented around the, the response that's already happened on social media. It's, you know, it's one of our most popular responses. If you're going to measure things by likes and metrics, um, it's had a huge um, impact. And I think what's always important with these things is it shouldn't be a moment in time. It's not just one piece that gets pushed out there. And that's something that we have a, a role and an accountability to you and all the authors, as well as to the wider community. And that's what advocacy and influence is about. Um, and so this coming on the, the back with the World PT Day, focus on long COVID gives us enormous opportunity over the next three months or so to really keep this front and center. Um, and that's really important. And that's a really exciting 
message to hear as well. So for anyone that isn't a physio or isn't aware of World Physiotherapy Day, could you tell us a little bit more about that? So World Physiotherapy Day is on the 8th of September and it's held on that day every year. And uh, we, as an organization, decide on a topic um, and one that we want to highlight the role of physiotherapists or the contribution that physiotherapists can make to a particular topic. And last year we were talking about uh, COVID, uh, but this year we're talking specifically about long COVID and, and, and you know, rehabilitation conversations around that. And so what happens is, um, well, lots of really exciting things happen on the day, but in advance of the day, um, the, a, a technical expertise team is brought together to produce the content because, again, we need to bring in the experts um, and we produce the content and and it's beautifully produced. I think that's the other thing. It's a beautiful product. So it's not just high quality content. It also looks beautiful. And what we do is then we put up what we call a toolkit for World Physiotherapy Day and a series of resources and and we put it out into the world and then we work with volunteer translators to enable that content to be available in a multitude of different languages and so it becomes live content and um, which is really fabulous and it's something that we've done um, um, we've really sort of started to do a few years ago and it's really grown and Tracy I don't have the data at my fingertips, but I'm sure you do. But I know last year the content got translated into large numbers of different languages. And but but then we what we do is we put it back into the beautifully branded product. So it goes out there just, you know, being fabulous, both in terms of the rigor of the content, but also how it looks. And then people can use that in their departments, in their workplaces, um, and we leave the information there as a resource. And again, it's open access. It's there for our member organizations, for our subgroups, our networks. It's also there for individuals who want to use it in their own practices and in their own departments. And so, and it's, you know, it's content that can be used by people that are not necessarily health professionals. In this instance, I think, because I think we will have a lot of um, expert people living, you know, expert patients, if you like, living with long COVID. And so for them to have that information as well, and perhaps to bring it along to their healthcare provider and say, hey, look at this, uh, material it's really interesting and high, you know highlighting world physiotherapy day so yeah have i missed anything tracy i'm sure no well i was actually going to say i was just going to say it was over 50 languages and we're kind yeah. we're expecting that again because our communications team you know in the same way that we harness people into our community once you've started doing some translation work for us and a lot of that's done through our member organizations and volunteers attached with them um we get some of the initial translations done in our key languages, French and Spanish. Um, but yes, we're expecting that kind of uptake again, um, translation. So as Emma says, it gets put into the brand. The, the more the brand is out there, the more the impact and the, and it's, a, well, partly because we're biased, we love our new brand. So that's the other thing. <laughs> um, and you need products to really bring mm. your brand to, to life. And World PT Day is a prime example of that. So, you know, we include things like t-shirt designs that people can rent off physiotherapists go out into the communities when it, where it's safe to do 
so and obviously it depends on the circumstances this year but there are posters there's information leaflets there's actually toolkits around how do you actually conduct an advocacy campaign how do you go and do radio interviews all those kind of things so we aren't just putting information out there we're empowering people to be the voice of the profession, to bring benefits to the people that we care for and have a responsibility to, where we can really make the difference. And that's, I think, one of the things we often talk about with policy for world physiotherapy. Those of us who work here and are in that area, you're at an arm's reach from where your impact actually happens. It requires so many other people to enable that touch point. But that's what we're all aiming for. At the end of everything we do, we're thinking about that encounter at the end where it's going to make a difference for an individual and it's making a difference for that individual through the work of physiotherapists and that's really heartwarming um, and when you're sort of predominantly sat behind a computer these days or you know on calls and having conversations like this to know that ultimately that's your end point is what drives you on and that's what keeps people knocking on our deal to be a part of our work and to help translate and create much better um, impact for more people. I have to say, I'm, I'm going to share something quite personal with you both, uh, although that means everyone listening as well. Uh, so, <laughs> don't worry, it's not too personal. We won't tell so, anyone, it's fine. Last World Physiotherapy Day, obviously September 2020, I was running around my hospital. I had thought I'd recovered from COVID. Um, I was taking loads of videos and pictures. And it was actually after that began my crash into long COVID. Oh. And what's fascinating for me is how this feels like a circle is coming all the way round, mm. whereby one of the pieces of materials that I believe is coming out that I've seen is about post-exertional symptom mm -hmm. exacerbation. And actually, I feel like if last year I had had that toolkit and I had had that, I may have not crashed as much as I did. And so from a very personal perspective, I just know how valuable this is going to be because this is going to be, as you say, translated into over 50 languages. There's an yeah. entire resource in there about post-exertional symptom exacerbation. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. I know there are many organizations that have got that message out before, but I feel like this is an enormous amplification of that and possibly unique. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's amazing to hear. And I think hearing you speak, Darren, it's also reinforced the importance of how the language has evolved and the terminology um, around that, you know, exacerbation of symptoms rather than the terminology of malaise. Uh, and, you know, that was something that was really key for the people that were advising us on editing this material. And it is all up on the website now. So, again, for anybody listening to this to go to our website and look for World PT Day, WPT Day, um, the whole toolkit is up there and we really want those resources to be used far and wide because you know I'm reflecting on what you've just shared I'm also thinking how long we've known you and I'm thinking I wonder if you really would have not been running around because <laughs> you know and I'm sure it's what's driven you with this paper because what you've done is a mammoth task mm. coordinating people let alone you know burying yourself under 200 odd references to get it down to 188 um, you know is because <laughs> You are who you are and that's that huge sense of making a difference and knowing that there's voices out there that can't be heard and you have an opportunity to be a voice that can make a difference uh, so i think you know a huge thank you to to you through all of this because we're having this conversation today because somebody had to be the driving force absolutely 
And I hope that this does give you permission to um, take a breath, you know, and because I think sometimes when you're in the middle of something like this uh, and you're passionate about advocating for the best possible services for our community or for the people living with, in this case, living with long COVID uh, and, and you as someone who's living with it also, you know, it is about modeling that behavior that says, actually, you have done so much now uh, to harness, uh, as one of our board members said, says, the world's best talent. But once it's out there, we, I think what we've done is, I think World Physiotherapy has created the, the ability for it to be sustained and sustainable. So that you don't, you know, I think it's there now and this mammoth piece of work has been done. And if the messaging changes and if the science changes, then the paper will change and that's okay too. And I think that's really important that the frameworks exist for that because I think one of the things that we want to be really you know, certain about is that um, we create sustainable content, content that will always be there, that is freely available and open access for anyone who wants it. Um, but equally, you know, for you to be able to say this World Physiotherapy Day, there's an awful lot of information out there and I've harnessed a team of volunteers who are doing all of that, were running around and you're just sort of, you know, you're in the act of leading from a position of saying, it's all out there now, off you go. Which I think is really important as well because none of us are, um, none of us are indispensable. And I, you know, and that's, uh, and that's not just obviously addressed to you. It's, I, think it's, I think it's all of us recognizing that um, our, our best gift to the community is to create something that is sustainable and goes on when we have to take some time off to rest or recover or move on to something else. And I think that's why hearing this message of the sustainability of the information that's within the briefing paper is actually so critical to hear. Um, because I know that certainly from us within Long Covid Physio, there felt like there was a sense of urgency leading up to this briefing paper. Um, because there was that gap and that paucity of the information. And also there was some conflicting information that was out there. Um, and so because of that, it made it quite difficult for people to navigate um what's the right or wrong thing to do and sometimes we still don't even know those answers mm -hmm. and i think being explicit in the unknowns is also valuable but now having this out there and knowing that there's the sustainability of that message and the translation of the information from the briefing paper into the world physiotherapy day mm -hmm. resources and how this is going to be a living document and can be updated is just so valuable to us as communities living with long COVID, but I also imagine that's gonna be amplified to other communities as well, such as MECFS mm -hmm. around making sure that this information is there, it's live, it's organically been produced with communities. And I think that's something that I'm, I'm just so ever grateful for. You know, this was, this was led and created by people living with long COVID, mm -hmm. um, which, which is so valuable. Um, and I think that's um, Darren, something I noticed on the social media. Um, it wasn't just the profession commenting on it. So in terms of the reach, um, nor was it just people living with long COVID. It was also people living with ME and CFS who were saying this was the kind of material that they were also looking for. And I think uh, for you and for others, I, I know there's been some hard conversations on social media when we're trying to educate ourselves as a profession about why uh, previous understanding of how you might approach 
some of the symptoms and experiences people were living with needed to be challenged and that you know that hard conversation sometimes to pause and actually say what we thought may not be the way to proceed now but hopefully what you can mm-hmm. do is have gauge in a different way you could say here's this resource this has now come together and it doesn't feel like small of um pockets of people there is this huge collective so it adds um adds more voices rather than feeling one or two lone voices and I think the more that that happens the more there's that swell um, the less of a burden it feels for a few people to have some of those hard conversations Mm -hmm. particularly when you're trying to challenge I think practice pre or preconceived um, ideas around what practice should be at this moment in time and that's hard as a profession to be challenged in that way particularly if it's around the unknown um, and as you say dealing with some of the uncertainties and the complexity but treating everybody as an individual. And I think that's something that you bring out really well in the paper as well. This group have really focused on the therapeutic relationship. It's not just around safe rehabilitation, pacing, mm-hmm. et cetera. It's around relationship being at the heart of this. Yep. And that was what was quite nice about the organic process of, of creating the briefing paper and that kind of snowballing effect mm. of who was going to be introduced into the, the co-authorship. And actually, uh, at each iteration, um, there was feedback of, we've missed this point from the co-authors. And so we were like, right, let's reach out to people. And a prime example was reaching out to Maxi mm. um, specifically about uh, the, the therapeutic alliance mm-hmm. and relationship. And that automatically shifted that 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 entire paragraph about person-centered rehabilitation Mm. Um, and that was what was actually really quite nice about delivering and leading it because the more we evolved the paper the more inclusive it became um, which was a really nice experience to go through actually and you know it does bring to mind um, something that um, you know is becoming I think apparent in some of the limitations of academic publishing which is, you know, and and you see those conversations certainly within our community, which is, you know, um, the the sort of expectation that anything you get involved in is gonna be published in in an academic journal with an impact factor. And and in fact, actually um, the limitations of that, particularly if they're not open access, uh, if they're behind a paywall, if they're in a niche journal, Um, And so it's really interesting, I think, to start looking at this as potentially a new way forward in terms of of publishing, because it's also, it's it's being able to be fast and responsive to to the unknowns and to have a level of comfort that says we are sitting with quite a bit that is unknown and that's okay. You know, and I think that's probably where World Physiotherapy and indeed probably other professional international organizations will find a really interesting space in the future. So we've got the professional credibility as a professional global organization. We've got the talented um, community um, and who can bring in the wider communities. So people living with COVID and not just the physios, but, but then draw on those wider conversations within the community. So it doesn't become just a conversation about long COVID, it becomes, okay, hang on a second, we're gonna bring in Maxi's work on Therapeutic Alliance. We're going to bring in other perspectives. And 
to be honest, for me, that's that's a really interesting, I suppose from an academic perspective, it's a really interesting publishing model because what it allows um, people to do is to come together in a really, truly collaborative way, in a really, truly open access way, and in a way that really serves the community of people living with long COVID and practicing in support of people living with long COVID. And it's a very unique publishing model, which I think, you know, we probably need to not underestimate the impact of because maybe this is how publishing will look in the future. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose that comes into the leadership structures of all of this, which is, you know, you mentioned that the briefing papers existed before, but clearly they have been, they've evolved through the pandemic and how the pandemic has shifted so many aspects of our lives and what we do. And interestingly, um, they've, they've, they've evolved here and demonstrating their value and, and their impact. And I know that certainly that was one of the reasons why I was so pleased to, that World Physio suggested uh, that this would be a briefing paper um, rather than a statement, um, mm. because it felt like it would have greater impact mm. and not have those constraints of fitting within the remit of what a particular journal wants. Or, um, uh, and th that felt really important um, in getting this message out rapidly, um, but also uh, collectively and the methodology of dissemination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the other thing with the briefing papers, Darren, is if you came to us in three months, six months time and said, this has just emerged, it's just like, right, edit it, turn it around, and it's out there. It's it's nimble. Yeah. And not only does it get out there, there's a communication strategy attached to it um, as well. And, you know, I think it is part of that evolving role of world physiotherapy and using different communication channels, using different tools and finding out what tools will allow us to have impact and amplify messages. And, you know, we have policy statements and we have guidelines and they have a role, but we have to think back all the time around what the objectives are and what the best tools are to meet those objectives. Um, and, you know, we talk about World PT Day having a toolkit. As a global profession, we need a toolkit. We need different outputs for different purposes. And I think seeing the briefing papers evolve, particularly around this, I think is a really interesting one to reflect on and where our voice can add in other areas of activity. Um, you know, once COVID perhaps, you know, starts to wane as the driving force behind this, you know, there'll be the next thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's how, again, we can keep ahead of that and think about what do we need to produce in a timely way and where do we get the right people to help us do that. So thinking about that topic, you know, the, the pandemic is not over. It is changing in different parts of the world and goes up and down in different regions at different times. And it's in different phases. And obviously, you know, there's more and more information coming out about the importance of uh, responding to long COVID and how, you know, even uh, over the last 24 to 48 hours, there's been reports of uh, long COVID being the hidden pandemic within the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And actually uh, the volume of people living with uh, long COVID um, may, may outstrip many of the other um, known uh, data points that are being collected. And so I suppose it's a, it's a question, maybe an open, broad question, but where does this sit with world physiotherapy in terms of what needs to be done for global leadership of the profession in responding to this as this changes around the world? Because there's been uh, some 
reports that maybe long COVID is affecting certain countries more than others. And we know that that's not true. This is going to be affecting people anywhere in the world, um, irrespective of who they are. Um, so this is gonna be a global issue and a global issue that isn't going anywhere fast. Um, so maybe this is the mean question, but where do we go with that information in terms of like leadership of the profession? I think in some ways that's, I, you know, and I think it reflects a lot of the conversations that we're having around rehabilitation. So if we think about what we knew about the rehabilitation needs of the, of the world before COVID, we knew that 2.4 billion people in the world would benefit from rehabilitation. And that before COVID in many countries, it was uh, a service that was under-recognized, under-provided, under-utilized. Um, and Dr. Tedros, um, the DG of WHO, um, mentioned in the in his uh, opening address to our Congress, as you know, a couple of months ago, that um, you know one in three people um, would benefit from from rehabilitation. So when we're having a conversation around long COVID, I, I think this is um, this is just a, a, I guess a, a personal professional perspective. I do think there's a power in framing it in the context of how do we ensure that there is an appropriate rehabilitation workforce appropriate rehabilitation systems, and that rehabilitation is prioritized within health systems. Uh, and as we, as we build back better, as the phrase that's being used certainly uh, in many places, and including in WHO, post the pandemic, that we recognize that the importance of ensuring a, an appropriate workforce in support of rehabilitation. Because I think we will, and I know we're, this is a, we're having this conversation around long COVID, but I think we do need to recognize that A, there were a lot of people in the world who had a need for rehabilitation um, before this. Um, there are even more people in the world who need rehabilitation as a result of the impact of the pandemic on existing systems. And now we will have an important community of people who will be living with long COVID who may have been very fit and healthy before they um, contracted uh, COVID-19, but equally they may have been people who had other needs for rehabilitation before this, and now it's compounded by long COVID. So from my perspective, I suppose, uh, in, in the role that I'm in as, as the president of World Physiotherapy, I would say there's a power in framing this conversation in our advocacy conversations around rehabilitation. So World Physiotherapy in its work with World Health Organization, World Physiotherapy in its role as part of the Global Rehabilitation Alliance. The work that the Global Rehabilitation Alliance are doing on the UN resolution for rehabilitation for all. And the fact that this is not just about physio, this is about people who need rehabilitation, the other health professionals involved in rehabilitation and really starting to, and I think this has been highlighted during many of the, the media, much of the media coverage around um, COVID is this idea that we have to stop talking about doctors, nurses and others. Uh, because if we continue to refer to the rest of the health workforce as other, we are never going to truly understand what the health workforce needs are in particularly the rehabilitation space. So to me, that's for us as a, as a global organization, it's around that kind of advocacy, global workforce advocacy, global rehabilitation advocacy, together with our other um, partners in World Health Professions Alliance and in the Global Rehabilitation Alliance. 
And I wonder if I could add, because I think one of the other things we've been working on, Darren, that's been really timely is the physiotherapist education framework around advancing uh, the education competences and the threshold to recognize a physiotherapist as they qualify and enter the profession. And it was really timely because we were able to revisit that before that document was finished. And we were able to reflect what has been happening over the last 12 months and what does that mean for the education of the future physiotherapist who's fit to practice in a world of uncertainty, who is comfortable dealing with uncertainty, who needs to have skills adaptable for digital practice, who has to approach risk assessment in a different way, whose communication skills may need to be much more diverse or highly developed across different contexts. So, you know, yes, a blessing in some ways, but it was actually really timely that we could press pause and actually think, well, what are the lessons that have been learned? What does this mean for the future? Um, and that speaks again to the workforce planning component part, um, because we need the clinical practice environments to support that education. We need the faculty staff ready to deliver education. And Emma can speak to that, obviously, from firsthand experience. But, you know, it was all about the, the multi-professional aspects, being part of teams, being part of systems, having the right communication skills, but actually living with uncertainty. It's good, that is the way we all have to deal with. And actually getting comfortable for that is a skill in itself. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is a, a muscle or whatever you need to be prepared for and to nurture and encourage and recognize it's just as essential as your critical clinical skills. So I think, you know, coming at it from the education is about feeding into that future workforce planning as well. It's fascinating to hear all of this because obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, I had a role before a person living with long COVID, you know, I was a, a huge advocate of the role of rehabilitation in the context of HIV and AIDS. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think that the pandemic has provided a potential opportunity to uh, centralise rehabilitation, not only as an integral, but a fundamental part, again. Um, and I know that these things have happened before, but it really feels like potentially with long COVID as, as a, a sparking point of this, because rehabilitation has been one of the three primary advocacy calls of people living with long COVID. So from the outset, people, you know, the community wanted rehab and it's being seen as vital and integral. If we look at the services that are being modeled for long COVID, rehab is being included from the beginning, not an afterthought. That's kind of new. <laughs> and exactly. so it's great. I mean, that's fantastic, but look what it took for that to happen. Yeah. You know, and I think it is, it is absolutely amazing. And I guess one of the things we need to be mindful of is that, that there are, that in prioritizing and, and seeing how important that is, what can we learn from those successful lessons that make sure that the other forgotten communities potentially don't lose out and so it's it's going to be about I think this this notion of sort of rather than it being a zero-sum game which you know health policy decisions often are that actually it's a it's a grow the pie uh you know uh way forward and that's the centrality of rehabilitation um you know as a, as a major aspect of everything that we do and a lens that has to be there all the time so We've covered quite a lot. <laughs> As we always do, Dan, in our conversations, I think, the three of us. So I'm just wondering, is there anything that we haven't addressed that you would like to bring up 
about the context of long COVID or the briefing paper or the opportunities that this pandemic has provided us in terms of accelerating and advancing rehabilitation across the board. I think if I was to start by thinking about the resources and things that we've produced for the, for the community off the back of um, COVID and not just long COVID, mm-hmm. is that they have impact and we continue to evolve them because I think this is a long trajectory. And I think what we have to do is reflect it's a different experience in different parts of the world. So if people are having experiences that they don't feel are reflected in the material we're producing is we are an open door. So I think it's really important if um, anybody goes to our website, looks at the briefing papers, the the COVID resource hub, the whole information area that we've put together there and feels that something's not addressing their lived experience as physiotherapists in different part of the world, then to let us know, because I think, um, you know, we can talk to lots of people, we have contacts in all parts of the world, but actually sometimes it's how do we get to the grassroots experience? Um, And that's um, what I would say is, we think we've got a lot of resources. Resources are only as good as how they're used, how they're disseminated and the impact they have. We'd also want to know if someone comes back and said, look, this isn't making any difference. If you did this to it, we could have much better impact. So as I said before, you know, we're here, we're located in one area and we're at arm's reach of the the real experience where all of our resources we want to be having impact and the only way we can know if that's working um, or if there are gaps if people come and tell us Um, and I think you know part of taking that central role of being this global repository recognizes the diversity in our member organizations we do have some very high functioning member organizations with lots of resources who can produce materials for themselves we have probably the vast majority who don't they're led by volunteers in different parts of the world and that's where we have a responsibility i think to ensure that nobody is left behind in terms of access to really important resources that can make a difference for them and that they don't have to do it on their own we can fill those gaps i would just like to say thank you to everyone who was involved in developing this resource Uh, thank you darren for your leadership and for your incredible contribution to world physiotherapy through the the network which is now the subgroup but also your role on our um congress program committee and you know Organizations um, are made up of individuals like you. And um, we've got a great team of staff and Tracy leads on amazing work. So I'm just grateful to everyone who rolled up their sleeves and put their head above the parapet for this paper. Okay, remember, there's a lot of courage required to put yourself out there and to to do this work. So um, I'm just grateful to everyone who has shown such commitment and such courage and such leadership and I just want to say thank you to everyone involved and as Tracy said we are here to listen and here to respond so yeah that's all I have to say thank you amazing well to to echo that point I have congratulated and said thank you to everyone involved in the briefing paper but I will say it again because I do mean it from the bottom of my heart over 50 people were involved in the development of this and it was uh, an enormous collaborative effort Uh, but also I want to express my massive heartfelt gratitude to world physiotherapy uh, because I think what has been demonstrated through this is the principle of greater involvement and meaningful engagement of people living with and affected by these conditions in the 
responses to these conditions. And I think that that has just been such an important part of this, which is that the community's voice is central to it. Um, so thank you both for your time on a Sunday afternoon, uh, for all of your contributions to this briefing paper and for everything that you have done, uh, not only in your advocacy, but also your solidarity and allyship for people living with long COVID, um, but many other people living with health conditions around the world, including our global physiotherapy family. Thanks, Darren. It's been Thanks, a real Sarah. pleasure.